Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would once again take control. He is here in us. I pray, Father God, that you would speak through me your words and your words alone. I pray during this time that you would be glorified, you would be honored, that as your word goes forth, it will accomplish the purpose that you sent it to do. We pray, Father God, that your people would be both encouraged and the necessary challenged. I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts this morning, Father God, and that your will and purposes would be accomplished today. In Jesus' name, amen. Temptation, the process. Who's to blame? Who is to blame? We're looking at James 1, 13 through 18 this morning, and I want to read from the text. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now, one of the things we're going to look at this morning and we're going to see demonstrated is that context is key. When we studied in Telios, one of the things that was constantly emphasized was the importance of understanding the context. We're reminded that James is talking to Jewish believers. That is important. He is talking to believers. This is not about the to the unsaved individual. I mean, if you look at what we're going to discuss this morning in the context of James chapter 1. This morning I want to begin with an explanation of the difference between trials and temptation. And this is for us to, to get a clarity of what's happening in the text. Because when we talked earlier about verses 2 through 12, we were talking about trials. As we look now at verses 13 through 18, we're looking at the topic of temptation. But if you look in your Bibles, and those of you who read the King James, I'm a King James fan, I, I please, this is not about translations, but if you read King James, the word temptation is used throughout. And if you have not looked at the definition of the word, you would assume that the same word is being used throughout. Not only is it, is it a different word, it's in, a different, it's in a different context. It's being used differently. And let's look at it briefly this morning as an introduction. James 1 and 12, and the difference between James 1 and 13 and the word temptation used. 
In some translations, you will note that if they have the passage broken into paragraphs, you will see that they take James chapter 1, verse 13, and they lump it in with James chapter 1, verse 12, and that whole section. But I believe it should, I separated it, let me put it that way, because I see a distinction between the two. Let's look at the division. You will note in this passage, the two are separated because I believe they're talking about two different things. First, the two words in the Greek are different. Both words, the temptation in, in verse 2 and 12 and the temptation in verse 13, come from the same root word. Now, Pastor Lee will probably tell you I may be pronouncing it wrong in the Greek, so please forgive me. It's called Hera, which is defined as a trial or an experiment. But the word defined trial in these contexts, in verse 2 and 12, that word in that situation is the word perasmos, which is the noun of the word, and it speaks to the actual trial itself. So when James says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials, he is actually talking about the thing, the noun, the object trial. When you come in contact with a trial, you are to consider it joy. And there is a difference between the two. And you have to look at the context. And this is why I said context is key, or king as they say. The understanding of the word in context, because it speaks to the actual trial itself. Listen to what James says. He says, you are to consider it joy when you encounter these trials. When you encounter this object, this thing called trial, you are to consider it a joy. He also says the trial, according to verse 3, is for your testing or it's for your proof. The trial is actually a proof, a testing of yourself. And it says it's like an engineer testing a bridge. It's, he doesn't test the bridge because he wants the bridge to fail. He's testing the bridge to prove that it can hold the weight. So trials are for the purpose of testing you, proving to you that as a believer, you can bear under that weight. Now, please pardon me. We've been through this before. And some of you are saying, yes, I, I heard this before. But bear with me. It's also like a coach placing more weight on an athlete as you're pushing weight in, in the gym. When the coach puts, puts more weight on that <clears throat> excuse me, bar, the purpose is not for the weight to fall and for you to hurt yourself. He's putting more weight on you to test you, to prove you, to strengthen you, to build up those muscles. Also, the purpose of the testing, according to James, is good because the production, it produces endurance. So the purpose of that trial is for the purpose of building up endurance, patience, perseverance. Also, understand the results of it. The result of that endurance is your perfection, your completeness, your maturity. So that noun used for strengthening, for building you up, and ultimately bringing you to a place of maturity. That's the trial. That's the periasmos in that text. But now when we look at verse 13, the context changes. And you can see it in the verse itself. He says in verse 13, let no one when he is tempted 
I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. That second word defined as temptation is the word perasmo. Perasmo, which is a verb. Looking at it in context, it is to be tempted. It is the verb that when you're being acted upon, not the noun itself. And again, you have to look at it in context. When you read the various examples where it is being used, you have to look and see where it is being used in that particular application. Once again, as you read, you may not necessarily see that. But you have to take the time. That's why it's so important not just to read as a believer, but the importance to study. We admonish in Scripture to do what? Study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is critical that we as believers study if we intend on being able to truly understand and appreciate what the word of God is saying to us. That word, when we look at it, it says, listen, and I want you to listen to how it reads in the original. Let no one being tempted say, from God I am being tempted. For God is not tempted of evil things, and he himself tempts no one. And the inference, he tempts no one to commit evil, with evil. The inference again is that is not God. He's not a one who tempts with evil. God does not tempt with evil, not in the best interest of the individual. Remember now, those trials were for our good. This temptation is not for our good. This is not something that God would do because it entails evil. We also look at what its end result is. It says when we are tempted, we are carried away of our lusts. This lust leads to sin and eventually leads to death. Not maturity, but death. And so two different words sound the same. And in some Bibles, they use the same word. But when you study it in its context and look at the word, you recognize there are two different uses. Now, we're going to look at the use of temptation as a means of leading to death, that process. They demonstrate different approaches and different end results. And some translations, I said, they use the same word, but they are different. That's the classroom lesson for this morning. But I think it's important that before we move on, we understand the difference. And as I said, I, I re-emphasize the point. It is critical when you do Bible study. And that's why it's important to have good tools, good resources. We just talked about this in Sunday school this morning. The same idea of us as believers and the necessity of studying God's word, not taking it lightly and putting the time into the process. If we want to grow and mature as believers, we've got to invest quality and quantity time in the study of God's word. You've got to put that time in if you want to grow, if you want to mature as a believer. Because even in this text, as, Paul, as James talks about, when you encounter those trials, you've got to pray for that wisdom. You've got to find out what does God say and how I am to address this particular trial. Now let's get to the meat. And the text is what the text says. Let's look at the text 
and see what God is saying to us this morning. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. No explanation necessary. God does not tempt with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. He's not enticed. You can't ding, dangle something in front of God and say, listen, they know how to do so. Not God. And God doesn't do that to you. Because God, God, that is out of God's character. That is outside of his nature. And God always sticks within his character. Especially as he relates to us. God does not, he is not tempted with evil. And he does not tempt anyone with evil. But it says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And in this passage, we now see the true source of temptation. Every person, all of us, are tempted. We are carried away, lured away, or drawn out by our own lust. Nobody else but us. We are drawn away, lure away, drag away, drawn out. It's like using bait. The analogy or the metaphor is like using bait to draw out a fish. Or using something, if you are hunted, to draw out the prey. We in the safety of our obedience to God, our disciplines of doing the will of God, doing the things that God calls upon us to do. And as a result, we are walking in the truth, walking in the will and the purpose and the plan of God. But the enemy can use our own lust. And what he does, he dangles it in front of us. And his intention, according to this text, the first way, he wants to draw us away from a place of safety. He wants to draw us out from our place of safety. It says, it is only in the New Testament this word occurs, and it only occurs once. And it's used of the effect of a person's desires and the effect it has on him as they threaten to entice him or pull him away from his safety. It is like a, a, as game is lured from its, its safe habitation. So man, by lust, is lured from the safety of self-restraint to sin. Drawn away. But then he continues. Each person is tempted when he is not just carried away or lured away, but he is also enticed. He is also baited, entrapped by his own lust. And the root word is to bait, to lure away to something. So our lusts don't just draw us away from, it also entices us toward. And we have to be very careful. So it's a twofold process. I need to get you out of that place of safety, that place of protection, and bring you out into the open where I can trap you. Our enemy is a wise enemy here. It's like a he wants to use what is in you, that desire, that evil nature. And he wants to say, you know what? You want this. Come get it. Come, 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 come. No, no, come, come. 
no, 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 come out, come out, come out. Come a little closer. Come a little closer. Then when you think, it's okay. Gotcha. And it says so in the, prog the progression. Listen to what it says. It says, when you attempted and carried away by your own lust and enticed, when you attempted, when you were lured and you were drawn away, each person is tempted. Each person is tempted by his own lust, his own desires, his own cravings. Note, as I said before, there's no one to blame. It's your lust, your desire. The sad thing today is that in society, we're told it's not our fault. True? You know, I'm the way I am because of my parents. They used to beat me. I am the way I am because I didn't receive the love that I needed as a child. I am the way I am because you don't know where I grew up. I, I grew up in Baintown. I, I grew up in, in South Beach. I grew up in... You don't understand what, what, what I've been through. You don't understand the circumstances. Now, please, I don't want to belittle the reality that some of us have been raised, been placed in, gone through difficult, challenging circumstances. Some of us have been in some areas that we, we still today can't even speak about. But Scripture says, Scripture says, we are drawn away of our own lust. We have a choice. It's, it's not a sickness that you have no, no control over. It's, it's, it's not a circumstance that you have no control over. Yes, your environment may impact it, but as a believer, you are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. And so these circumstances can be overcome. So yes, your parents, your environment, incidences in your life, lack of love, maybe you didn't have the education, the government didn't treat you right, problems with the company you kept, the police beat you, your wife left you, your husband was a problem, your children are difficult. Yes. Did I leave anything out? Okay. Who's the main one we always blame? And I said, not BEC, man. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> like, even in this case, you can't blame BEC. You can blame us for the light being off, but you cannot blame us for your response to the light being off. Amen? You can't blame us. But we are drawn away of our own lust and entice. We need to accept responsibility for the choices we make. That is the bottom of that matter. We need to accept responsibility and stop from blaming something or somebody else. How do I stop? The thing is, the bait is specific to you. You hear what the verse says? You're drawn away of your what? Own lust. Now those of you who are fishermen, certain fish fall for certain bait. True? So you don't just 
I mean, I'm a fisherman, so I can't tell you. But certain fish offer certain bait. The things I will dangle in front of Brother Bradshaw that would entice him, that would stir up his own lust. I dangle that in front of my brother Cartwright and it doesn't bother him. That's not the bait or the lure for him. But I dangle something else in front of him. I can get him to move. You've got to know yourself. Understand the challenges and difficulties that you have. Appreciate the You know. Let me give you an example. My father used to drink. That was the challenge that he faced, I believe, for a great part of his life. And I grew up in that situation. I grew up with the loudness, the waiting at home, not knowing what condition he would come in. I grew up not inviting friends over to the house because I didn't know what he would be like. That is what I grew up in. That was the experience that I had. But I don't drink. I also am not an introvert, those of you who know me. I try to be outgoing, friendly. But I could have allowed my past to negatively impact me. The enemy could have used that as a lure to beat me. And I could have been just like my father. But I made a choice. Does it mean that it's always easy? Does it mean that you know, I could, I could, there's no struggle, there's no difficulty, there's no challenge? No. But we need to make a choice. We all have to make that choice. It says then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it bring forth, brings forth death. We see a progression. When lust has conceived, and we're using a picture of birth. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. This can be a long time or a short time. Women normally have babies in nine months. There are other animals who have babies over a longer period of time, shorter period of time. And for you, it may be different. And as we continue in the lust, instead of stopping it, it eventually gives birth to sin. So you sit there and you start to read Victoria Secrets. Looking for a nice outfit for your wife. That was your original intent. But now you've been in that book a little bit too long. Wow. You've stopped from looking at the garments, and now you're looking at the ladies. What do I do? Do I allow this lust? to bring forth sin? Am I going to stay there? 
And if I do, you know what eventually will happen? It will lead to sin. Lust, when it has conceived, if allowed to continue on in the process, will bring forth, will take hold, will seize us, will become pregnant and bring forth sin. We will get caught. And this is where the first line of defense needs to be drawn. You need to say now, when I'm placed in that situation, when I recognize, and you know. So for me, it may be, listen, I cannot read Victoria's Secrets. I can't read, I mean, boy, you can't read much these days. But if that is your area, you cannot take that chance. Let's see what Scripture says. Scripture says, for though we walk in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When you sit there, you start saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to take this thought captive. It is getting out of hand. Philippians says, we are, in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything of worthy, dwell, think on these things. You know what? I'm having difficulties with this. You know, Father... You know, Jesus Christ, you quote that scripture. You think on things that are true. You turn away from. He continues in Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I treasured or hid in my heart that I might not sin. And so when that time comes, you know what, Lord? Uh -uh -uh -uh. You know what your word says? This is wrong. Your word says... This is wrong. It's sin. And you quote the necessary scripture. If you have a particular area of weakness or challenge, you need to learn scriptures related to that area. Prepare for the attack. Because I guarantee you, it will come. Trust me, it will come. So prepare yourselves for the onslaught. And whatever you do, please do not take your enemy for granted. And don't take his subtlety and his ability to manipulate the lust, the enticement in you to sin. We are encouraged again, finally, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able so please don't say, boy, I couldn't take it. It was too much. I couldn't handle it. But will with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. 
Galatians 5.16. But I say again, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It is a battle. Our enemy is real and he is deadly. He takes no prisoners. He is not your friend. The things that you may be enticed to do is not something to enjoy and appreciate because the text says ultimately the purpose and the plan is your death. You may say, yes, but I'm enjoying it. But now, for now, he continues on. He says, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, when lust is conceived, it's taken hold. It catches you. It gives birth. It brings forth sin, error, offense, missing the mark. And when that sin is accomplished, it's, being, it's brought to its end. It's completed or it is full grown. It brings forth or gives birth to death. Death. When I look at the definition, it said the basic meaning of death is separation. Death never means extinction, annihilation, non-existence, or inactivity. Death is the separation of a person from the purpose of which, purpose or use for which he was intended. Death is separation from God. Sinners are separated from God, and if they die in their sin, they will remain separated from God. Death, physical death, is a separation of the spirit from the body. Death, separation. And the wages of sin is death. If we allow the process to continue, we will, I don't know, if you believe you're so smart, you're better than those who have gone before. Like you said, you're wiser than Solomon. You're stronger than Samson. You're better than all the brothers that have gone before. And you say, and you, you, you try to convince, you deceive yourself to believe, I can double and will not end up where others have gone. The Bible says you deceive yourselves. Because you will. If you continue to allow that enticement to draw you, it will give birth to sin. And if allowed to continue in the process, you will end up in death. And we see it. We see it time and time again. And that's the thing. We have examples all around us. We see it in our country. We see it in our marriages. We see it in our families. We see it in our church. When sin is allowed to bring forth its unholy offspring, death, we see it in our church. We see the separation amongst believers. Can't get along. Can't work together. Can't see God use us to bring honor and glory to his name. Because we've allowed that process. We've allowed ourselves to be enticed. To be drawn away by our own lust. And that sin has been brought forth and continually allowing it to fester. To continue allow it to produce. It produces the next level of offspring. Separation. Separation from God. Separation from one another. Separation from our spouses. Separation from our family. Separation from God. When I consider our country, bring it home. When we consider 
the things and the road that we are on. Do you see where Scripture says we could end up and will end up if we continue sinning? If we continue on that path, where will we end as a country, as a people, as a church? If the process is allowed to continue. Some biblical examples. In 1 Corinthians 11, 20-32, it says, But a man must examine himself. And we're talking about when we come to the breaking of bread. Lest we believe that, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, Many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, if we dealt with ourselves, if we dealt with the temptation when it arrived, if we dealt with it, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. When we read the story of Joshua 7, verses 21 through 25, it talks about a man by the name of Achan. And Achan, the Bible says in verse 21, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle, lust enticed from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, the bar of gold, whoo, jackpot, 50 shekels in weight. Then I Coveted them, enticed, coveted them, and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Joshua said, messengers, they ran to the tent. Behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. And they said they took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan. This is the progression. Took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, all that belonged to him. They brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Do you need to see any other picture painted of a more realistic process? Tempted, drawn away, sin, death. Not just his death. Come on. What did the sheep do? <laughs> Everything. So you as a husband, I as a husband, have to bear in mind that when I sin, and that sin leads to death, I'm not the only one who may be impacted by that sin. I have to bear in mind that there are others who may suffer as a result of my sin. If Pastor Lee is not careful, 
and not keeping himself under control. Even though he may be pastor emeritus, I am almost positive. If someone sees him out there, that's that pastor from Calvary Bible Church. Not just death to his testimony, his witness, but death to Calvary Bible Church. Because we will get marked with that as well. And so we need to be careful and recognize that death can happen to all. We see it in the story of David in 2 Samuel 11, 3 through 12, 23. Uriah died. The baby died. And scripture says, the Lord told him the sword would never depart from his house. Wow. Today, like any other day, the wages of sin is still death. We've got to believe that. But we can beat it. and God wants us to win. He does not want us to sin. And if we sin, we have an advocate. That is, if we sin, we have an advocate. The man, Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, if we sin, according to 1 John, we can do what? Confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we sin and we fall, we must treat 1 John 1, 9 like a net, not a trampoline. And I've used it before. We walk the tightrope of life. And when we sin, we fall off. But sad to say, some of us, when we fall off, we stay there. We bounce around and we enjoy it. Sin is not something to be enjoyed. And God's forgiveness is not something to be taken for, life, for granted. He says in his word, Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? What? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? We can't continue. We've got to get up, ask the Lord's forgiveness, and continue on. But as we continue, verse 17, Every Good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And I missed out a verse. Didn't, I didn't miss, forget, I missed. He says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He drops that in the middle there. I like James. You know, James says like to, to drop stuff, but James don't drop stuff for no reason. You, know. you see, James says, as I've discussed this situation, I've told you about this God. Don't be deceived and believe that God is the one who tempts you. Don't be deceived, my beloved brother. Don't be deceived that God is this evil, hurtful God who wants to bring you down. That he is trying to destroy you. No. Because verse 17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from this God coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good, every beneficial thing, and every given, perfect, complete thing that doesn't lack anything. This, this, this is God gives us good gifts. It's for our benefit. It is perfect. God doesn't give us halfway gifts. He gives us good gifts, complete gifts. When I look at that, I say, but... What do you mean a perfect gift? Complete. Doesn't leave anything out. When God gives you a gift, he gives you the entire package. It comes down from our Father of lights, the God who is the creator, the sustainer of all lights. It says in Psalm 136, verse 7, to him who made the great lights, 
for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule, the, rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night. He is the creator, the sustainer of these lights. That's where these good gifts come from. From him, the sustainer of lights, with whom there is no variation, no change in his intensity or shifting shadow. He doesn't cast any shadow. Our God is, I love the word, I came across it, I came across it, we studied it in Teleos, immutable. I fell in love with that word. Our God does not change. Woo! I love that, you know. God is good. He is always good. And all he can be is good. And when I come back to him tomorrow, he is still good, man. Okay, okay, stop, stop. Let me go. We can get caught up in that one. He is a good God. He does not shift. He does not vary. When you talk about he is the father of lights, and you use that same comparison, that there's no variation, no intensity of change in him. In other words, God, he's a little bit good, and then maybe he's a little bit more good. My God is always good. All the time good. That's the kind of God we serve. There's no shadow. There's no difference. There's no, well, today, you know, I'm going to flip around. You're going to see another side of God. Mm -mm. One side, always good. That's the Father we serve. He's not the God that tempts to sin. He's a God that is always good, giving good gifts. And finally, he gives an example. James wraps it up and says, you know what? In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish believers. He said, in the exercise of his will, his choice, being the good God that he is, he brought us forth. And he speaks to us as well, you know. That's a good God that we serve. He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits. They were the, these were newish, new believers, you know. They were the first fruits, the first fruits of God's creation, of what God was doing, of the work God was carrying out. He demonstrated, listen, man, I am such a good God. Our God is a good God, you know. I don't know if we appreciate that. No matter what situation or circumstance you find yourself in, God is always good. That doesn't change. When your situations are difficult, when you're going through challenges, when you're being tempted, when you're being tried, you don't look and say, oh my goodness, this is the... God is good, yeah. always good, yeah. and at all times, good, a good God. So, who are you going to blame? Are you going to blame that good God? Oh, come on. You can't blame him. Or maybe you want to blame the bad devil. You won't blame him. So who's responsible? Who? Us. When we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. 
but we can do something about it. We don't have to allow that process to continue. You can stop it at the temptation. And our God is so good, even if we sin, he has given us forgiveness. What a good God. What an awesome God that we serve. Who is to blame? We are. But we can do something about it. We need to taste and see that our God is good. First name sake.